0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Wellness Project with Des. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today, I have a fantastic guest for you, Nicola Lloia. She is a therapist and a business strategist who helps women entrepreneurs build bigger businesses and create consistent income growth. She loves helping them create multiple income streams that allow them the freedom to work less, While still making more money. Now I'm really excited to talk with Nicole because we are going to talk all about money mindset, money blocks, extra incomes, things that holds people back from making money. I'm really excited to speak with Nicole today because I think that it's really important to talk about money. I don't think we talk about it enough. I think, especially in the helping professions, it is a taboo. And I think that a lot of people are struggling with money. There's a crazy statistic that's like, I don't know the percentage, but of Americans have less than a thousand dollars in their savings account. I mean, that is incredibly outrageous. So many people are struggling with money, especially now after COVID and businesses shutting down and people getting laid off or furloughed or whatever. Um, I think that it's really tough for people. And I think that there's a lot of struggles with mindset that there's not money out there for us and that what we're making now is all we're going to be making. There's no possibility of making more when in fact, I believe that it is easier now than ever. Ever to make more money because there's so many things available online. I mean, there's Upwork and Fiverr and selling things on Amazon, selling things on Facebook marketplace and putting your services out there, building an audience on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or whatever. So I think that it's easier now more than ever to make extra income and bring in new income streams. So I'm really excited to talk with Nicole about this, about what's holding people back, people's blocks about money, mindset that's where that mindset has come from these unhealthy mindsets where they stem from. So, I think this is going to be a really really helpful episode because as we know, finances are part of self-care and if we can't take care of our finances and our bills and our responsibilities, it puts a really big strain on our mental health and our well-being. So this is going to be a very important episode to listen to. I hope that you are going to learn a lot. I know that you will. Nicole is amazing. I mean, she started her own private practice and then built her own business on top of that. So she knows her stuff. She is very smart and she's going to give amazing tips. I know it. So definitely listen to this episode, get out a notebook. You are going to want to take notes. Let's talk with Nicole. Everyone, I am here with Nicole LaLoya. She is an LCSW and business strategist. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you because I know you're a therapist. You started your own business. You're a licensed clinical social worker. I am also a licensed clinical social worker. So I'm really excited to talk with you about becoming a business strategist and how you got there. So I guess first things first, just tell us your story. How did you go from an LCSW to a business strategist?
1: I guess it started when I got my master's in social work. Uh, I actually went to Columbia in the city. I know you you were saying earlier you lived in Brooklyn or were from Brooklyn. Um so I went to Columbia and after it was like a two year program. It's pretty intense because you have internships during it and everything as you remember. I'm sure Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And
0: I I took a while. I did mine in four and a half years. Oh <laughs>
1: wow. Okay. So I did mine yeah over like the intense two year two year plan. So after I graduated, I, you know, I had specialized in clinical mental health and my goal was ways to get a job, you know, counseling. Um, I had kind of got my training in children and families, and I got a job actually working in Harlem at a mental health clinic, and it was kind of cool. It was located in a school. So I worked there counseling children and families, and, you know, I enjoyed the work. The kids were amazing. Of course, the parenting piece is a little bit exhausting and draining. (laughs) Yep. And I enjoyed the work, but to be honest, like the bureaucracy of the nonprofit agency just really started to wear me out. It just kind of felt like we were just kind of coming up against the same problems, the same struggles. um, And they weren't into problem solving. They weren't into changing things. It was so ironic because of course, like you're a therapist, like we're working to support people. And it was like, so opposite in the agency. And I just kind of felt like there wasn't good leadership. There wasn't good mentorship. really feel like there was any like direction for me next. You know, originally I had always thought like, oh, I'm just going to go, I'm going to counsel people. And like, that's it. Like I didn't have any, you know, big other dreams or plans or anything like that, but just getting like really burnt out in the agency was rough. The last year was really rough. I really hung in there just because in New York, you need three years of work to get your clinical license. So you could have a private practice or something if you want one day. So I kind of like stuck it out for that third year to just like get the hours. And, you know, at that time too, I was just like, there was just this underlying financial stress. Um, You don't make any money when you get out of social work. Like I made $37,000 living in New York city with like $80,000 worth of grad school loans. I had five roommates. So, you know, like you go home from working you know, with people and talking all day. And then you go home and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to like collapse in my bedroom. So it was just like really exhausting. And I was kind of like, what can I do next? And I really had no idea. And I just knew like, I wanted to take time off to travel and volunteer. Um, I had friends who had done that kind of thing even before they went into grad school. So I started looking at programs and I found one in Venezuela, which is like kind of random now because I don't even know if we could like get into Venezuela <laughs> travel. I don't think it would be very safe. Even then, I don't think it was like for Americans, it wasn't like the most obvious like travel place. People who I met, it tended to be people from Europe and areas like that there wasn't really like a lot of Americans I came across there traveling, but it was kind of cool because I got the volunteer experience initially. And, you know, then I traveled around the country. I was there for almost three months. And when I came back, I was like, I think like the burnout just really caught up with me. And I think too, and I'm sure it's common, like with your audience, or maybe you've had that experience, like when you're burning out, like you don't even realize it's happening until it's, too late. And even then I went like straight into the travel, which it wasn't like it was a vacation. And I was like lying on the beach. Like I loved it, but it's stressful traveling solo. It was like my first big solo trip. You know, you're in another country. I don't speak Spanish my high school spanish to come back not gonna lie a little bit i was impressed <laughs> but like you know so it was kind of like added stress even though it was like enjoyable you know i think it was just like again and then having it weighing on me like what about money um what about work and when i came back i was living in like a family owned apartment so my rent was a little lower i had gotten back to new jersey so i kind of just ended up like trying to apply for my license bureaucracy. Again, it took like a year for the paperwork to go through in New Jersey for like no reason. Uh, And then I was just kind of like, you know, what should I do? What should I do? Just like, honestly, I feel like I was zoned out from just like burnout. I can't even remember what I, what I was doing with my time. So I finally got my license and, you know, I started looking for jobs and I was like, I cannot do a nine to five. I think something's wrong with me. Like, I'm very lazy. Like, I just don't think I enjoyed it. I hate that structure. Now that I had that experience of like travel for an extended period of time, like I like to absorb the culture of a place. Like, I don't just want my travel experience to be limited to like, you know, you know, uh, a Sunday through Saturday trip, you know, on your vacation time. So you know, I kind of just started looking around at like what I could do. And, you know, I obviously needed money after taking so much time off and like not really, you know, working for a while. So I had ended up getting a part-time job at a nonprofit that my original um, social work internship had been at. So that was good. It kind of gave me you know some financial stability and also you know access to health insurance and things like that and you know it was fun because i also traveled for that job to like run meetings so i enjoyed that and then i also found some contracting jobs as social worker which wasn't as common back then. So I did some case management for a nonprofit, and then I also started working with kids and their families in their home, um, doing clinical work. So I, I kind of like, I think, got the entrepreneur bug then because I was like, wow, like I can make money doing multiple things and not having to be like tied down to this nine to five responsibility. Like I'm in charge of my schedule if I want to work a lot one day and not really much the next day. I can do that. Like if I wanna flex my hours and like, you know pick my nephews up from school or do something fun with them like there's that possibility for me. So it just felt like really good to have that. So I did that for a few years. Um, I ended up in a different, job as a manager, um, part-time, like supervising the old program where I had been a clinician supervising the clinicians who went into the home. And, you know, finally I was like, oh, maybe I should just try my own private practice. So, you know, I started um, learning about that and I started just a part-time private practice. And, you know, I loved it. Um, but I was also like, oh my gosh, like this is, I just recreated the nine to five for myself. (laughs) Like you're with your clients every day, same clients every week at the same time. And I was like, oh no, like, what did I do? You know, like if you don't see clients, you don't get paid. If you go on vacation, you don't get paid. You're going to like, I feel like I'm going to constantly have this anxiety about like, how many, how am I going to get clients? What if someone leaves? What happens? Um, And like, at that time I was just kind of learning about business and online business really hadn't like taken off yet. Obviously even therapy again, this was like nine years ago, eight years ago, therapy wasn't really done online at that time. Um, So again, I was like, I am going to be in this office all the time, like doing one thing. And I also realized like too, I'm an introvert. So like, I can't see a lot of clients. Like I know some people, like my clients come to me now and they're like at 35 clients and they're burnt out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I could never see more than. 15. Like you guys are working way too hard. So I kind of like learned about coaching and, you know, I learned about courses and group programs. So I kind of just started like experimenting. I thought coaching seemed like creative. I liked that, you know, like you could create packages. Um, I kept it very separate. It wasn't like connected to mental health at all. It was more stress management based and tangible. So it didn't intersect with any ethics or licensing things and i just loved it that you know you could work with people anywhere on the world over the computer i could be at my you know kitchen table or office desk or whatever my couch whatever i wanted and i could you know reach anyone and also kind of have this this ability to give them other resources like you know not have weekly calls but maybe have every other week calls and have email access in between to answer questions and support them so i kind of felt like it just really worked with my personality and the way I like to, to connect and support people so I kind of transitioned into that you know and then I like played around with courses and books didn't have success right away, for totally forgot about like market research and making sure I actually created stuff that people wanted and was specific. And then like I finally did market research. And I think because I had that experience of like leaving my job and like getting out on my own. And people saw that and I talked about that in my story. People started were like, I want you to help me with my goals. I want to quit my job. So I kind of started to transition into business coaching for people who were early early in their business. Um, And then I had more success with different income streams, group programs, some courses, affiliate income, just like a variety of things. And then, you know, people were interested in that. So ironically, then I've just slowly transitioned into helping a lot of business owners. I help some who are in the early stages who have the foundation set up, but want more clients. And then I help people at the next level expand into new income streams and kind of decrease their one-to-one client work.
0: Wow. Okay. That's great. So as I'm yeah. talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like we live such a parallel life. I worked at a nonprofit. I got so burned out, and my team itself was amazing. And my supervisor was incredible. I literally cannot ask for a better supervisor, but the higher ups, all the admin, mm-hmm. they were horrific. And it was just the last year I worked there four years. And the last mm-hmm. year I just, I knew I was moving to Colorado yeah. within a year. So there's no, I didn't want to quit and look for a new job. Mm-hmm. I had to stick it out. And I uh. just, it was killing me I just I felt so drained I was getting depressed it was it was yeah. terrible. So now I work in a school doing mental health in middle school and mm-hmm. high school. So I'm in the summer. I'm not working right now. So we're traveling and things like that, which is great. And I still have six weeks left of my summer break. And already I'm like, I can't. Like, how am I going to go mm-hmm. back? Like, I can't. Yeah. So I'm in the process of trying to build an online business and everything. So everything you're saying is, I think it's sad because, you know, we're in these helping professions and we get so mm-hmm. out that we can barely take care of ourselves. And like you said, the burnout, it just hits you and you don't even. Yeah. up until it's too late. And then Mm -hmm. how could you help your clients and the kids you work with when you're so burned out? So uh, everything you're saying is just really ringing bells for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's an experience so many of us have in the caring professions, you know, and I think also a lot of us go into those professions because we're already like caretaker type personalities and our families and things like that. So I think a lot of times too, it's like, it's not even like we leave work and we're getting taken care of or getting support. A lot of times we're like the emotional um, or even physical, you know, like when I, when that year, when I really first wasn't working. And then even on, when I had the flexible schedule, like I helped care for my grandma a lot. I took her to the grocery store, you know, I took her shopping and and did things like that with her. And like, let me tell you, let's really, at least with her, she could shop all day. It was draining. (laughs) (laughs) It was exhausting. So it was like, yeah, you think you're recharging, but you're really, you're not, you know, you're still giving in other ways.
0: Oh, exactly. That's so true. And then something that you said, which I know we're going to really dig into is that people in the helping professions do not make enough money Mm -hmm. to live. I mean, I was literally making like less than 500 a week being Mm -hmm. a therapist, like you said, with like 35 clients a week or 20, you know, 25, 30 clients a week. And I was making no money working. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I can, I can't go back to a nonprofit. Sad to say, cause I loved my agency until we got taken over by another agency, but I don't think I could ever go back to a nonprofit. They don't treat people well. They don't pay enough. There's so much turnover. And mm-hmm. I don't know why, which we'll get into, like, why do you think that people in the helping professions don't make a livable income.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think personally, um, you know, just you know, and I'm sure probably you've had the same experience. And I just know a lot of my clients who are tend to be like women and service-based professions. Uh, you know, when we go through training, and again, like we're paying for that higher education. And, you know, they're basically telling you, like, you're gonna go out and help people and you're not gonna make any money. Like, there's no money in this, like you just have to help people. So, first of all, we get all these negative associations with making money, like one that it's wrong to make money, like that means you're not not helping people like unspoken, like you're greedy, you know, like you should just be giving back, you know what I mean? Like those kinds of things. So we're also, and I think again, like, you know, social work is really dominated by women. At least I will say social work, you know, school and stuff like that. But then again, it's crazy. Cause when you get to the agencies, like, and again, this is thank God changing, but it was all men in the higher up positions. And it's like, they didn't even have like social work backgrounds, you know what I mean? And they're like the CEOs yeah. and everything. And, and like, on the board, all the board members are men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That, are, that aren't
0: social workers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's just kind of like frustrating. Um, and again, I think as women, we're not you know from the start you know given the messaging that we can make money that we're worthy of making money i think again it's like women have to take care of other people and you're, there's not money in that right like it's teachers and things like that those are all the professions that is kind of carried over and it's old programming and you're again you're not taught that your skills are worth money and you're not taught how to like negotiate for yourself you know you're not taught any of that. And I think honestly, even in terms of the management and bureaucracy, I think again, like I'm so glad you had a good manager, but even as you get higher up, they're not looking at like, how can we support our staff better? Like, you know, we're bringing in the income technically, like we're seeing the clients and that's where the money's coming from, you know? And they're like, shorten your session time, see more clients. And there's nothing like, in it for us. Like we're not given rate, like, you know, there's no performance. There's no, you know, benefits or raises. there's no like bonuses. It's just straight out. Like that's it with maybe like a cost of living raise every year.
0: Yes, exactly. That was my same experience too. They even cut out our note time that we, we got an hour of notes every day. They cut it out, put a client in there instead. Then we started getting in trouble for not writing our notes. And we were like, okay, well we don't, you took away our time. So, you know, so yeah, they do things like that. They just cut the time you have for, to get the paperwork done and then you get in trouble for not doing the paperwork. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. So I saw a video about a study. Um, somebody did this video about a study and I've heard this study before. And it says that women are really taught to like coupon and save their money. Whereas men are more taught to make more money, um, become entrepreneurs and invest. Do you, in Mm -hmm. your experience, do you think that's true?
1: I mean, I do think it's true. You know, I, I've been in like masterminds with guys. I, my accountability partner is actually a male. Um, I've worked with like a few male clients. I do like, I primarily work with women, but it's definitely like a different attitude. You know, it's just like, oh, I'm going to invest in this. This is my business income and I'm going to invest they're not checking with their wives about how they're investing their business income. Whereas, you know, women, like a lot of times if I do a sales call, they're like, okay, I have to go talk about it with my husband. I have to go check with my husband, you know? And I'm not sure like where that's coming from. And I always say like, okay, that's totally fine because I do get like investments. Sometimes you're checking with your partner and stuff like that. But I'm always like, listen, at the end of the day, it's about you and I working together and you're the boss of your business. Um, So how do you feel about this, right? now, you know, So also make sure that women are claiming what they want and it's not getting clouded over by like, I can't even decide until I talk to my partner and like get the okay, you know? So I think that's a piece as well. I think like, honestly... You know, I have a brother. We grew up just the two of us. And sometimes I think about it and it's like, you know, my parents like invested in swimming, le- private swimming lessons for him. They invested in like a fancy summer camp for him. Um, you know, my dad took him on like special guy trips, camping. You know, um, my mom didn't take me like on girl trips at all. Or, you know, I didn't actually get swimming lessons. <laughs> like, ironically, like I had lessons one year and then never again. Um, so, I don't know if that happens in other families too. I don't think it was like blatant, you know what I mean? But looking back on it now, I'm kind of like, hmm, like he's sort of given more value in a way than me for sure. You know? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, my dad, uh,
0: has five girls, so Mm -hmm. I have no brothers. So I don't know about that, but I, I've definitely heard things like that for sure. Mm -hmm. With people who have brothers, I have heard things like that. So I think a lot of, um, like what you're talking about, which I know you're all about is talking about, you know, obviously there's like sexism and money and financing Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But a lot of what you're speaking about is mindset. So can we talk Mm -hmm. about money mindset a bit? I know you do a lot of work with mindset. So what is a healthy mindset for money versus an unhealthy money mindset?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the most common money blocks is like believing there's a lack of money out there. So it's like, you know, if I spend this, I'm not going to make it back. It's wasted, like that kind of thing. So constantly being afraid to spend money. Um, So, like, again, that leads to like, I don't want to invest in myself. Like, I don't want to invest in coaching. Like, I don't want to invest in a virtual assistant as a business owner to hire out and hand things off. I don't want to invest in, you know, somebody to help me with my website. It's like, I have to learn everything. I have to take everything on. I have to DIY everything. Like that's the only way for me to succeed. It's not okay for me to like pass off things. That's like lack. I'm going to spend my money. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it back. So I think that's really a big one. And I always say like, thank God I'm lazy because like, I definitely outsourced early from the start. And I, I can <laughs> tell you people that I did programs with, I scaled more quickly because I wasn't like behind the scenes trying to, trying to figure everything out that I sucked at. It was like, I don't need to, like, I don't want to break anything. I'm handing this off to somebody who like knows better than me. So I think that always kind of helped me a little bit. You know, another big one too, is that sort of like connected to the lack, like there's just like not enough people out there. There's not enough clients out there. Like people aren't going to pay my rates. Um, so sort of things like that. That's absolutely a big one too, you know? Um, so just kind of like that again, like feeling like there's never enough for you. Um, feeling that you can't claim it or feeling that like other people don't have enough to like support you or claim things like that too.
0: Okay. That makes sense. And is, is there a difference between a money mindset and a
1: money block? Well, money mindset is just like, again, how do you feel about money? And then money blocks are part of that money mindset where it's like different beliefs or sabotages that come up that, that make up your overall money mindset that's how I view it anyway.
0: Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so the examples you just gave, are those the most common examples that you can think of, of money blocks that clients you work
1: with have? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, I've worked with hundreds, you know, hundreds of thousands of business owners over the years. And, you know, for sure, I can just tell you those come up over and over again. Like, again, there's like, you know, I'm working with a client now and like, she's done a huge amount of progress on her money mindset, you know, and it meant really like getting rid of low paying income streams, which is scary. Cause again, like it goes to that, like lack, like there's not going to be enough people who will pay me my higher rates. I need to have this like as a safety, um, which also is like, then it feels like you need to overwork yourself when you're going to pay $30 an hour versus like a hundred dollars you know, clients at an hour, like you have to do three hours of work versus one hour to make the same amount of money. So you're just gonna like burn out again more quickly. So these are definitely like, again, some of the biggest that I see over and over again. The, another big one is like, I have to work hard to make money. So people again, feel like they have to be seeing like these 35, 40 clients a weekly. Like, Cause that's what we had to do. Right? We were there, you know, and we were seeing clients every second of the day and doing notes the rest of the time and talking to family members and referrals, you know, like doing all the case management work the rest of the time. So we really do believe like, you know, I can't make good money in like 20 hours a week. You know, it's not okay for me to make good money. I'm only going to make good money if I work hard. Like I have to work harder to make more money.
0: Right. And where does this money mindset or these money blocks where do they stem from? And is it mm-hmm. different for men than it is for women? Do you think?
1: I mean, I think that like, obviously most, a lot of blocks come from obviously child and childhood and like generational and our parents' beliefs, you know, and like there are messages about money, you know, like if you had a parent, you know, who works like, lower um, income job, you know, what did they do for extra money? Or you didn't have enough, right? Or maybe like, you know, my dad, if he wanted more income, he worked overtime, right? And then he had more of a, like a bigger paycheck that month. But otherwise it wasn't like, oh, like I can make more money for doing less or I could just keep making, you know, more money for doing the same amount of work. It's more like we have to add more to our plate to make more money. I think for sure it affects men too. I think, you know, there's definitely, you know, men have money blocks too, I'm sure. But I think, you know, it's probably a little bit different in how it shows up for us. Also, I haven't worked with tons of men in this area, so I can't (laughs) give too much Of my own experience with that. But I think for sure, you know, even some of my clients, like once they start like cleaning up their money mindset and being aware of it, then they also start to see it sometimes in their partners too and how it affects them. So I think for sure, just a large part of it is like your family beliefs, things like that. And then I think again, it's like, you know, just messages in society. And like I said, you know, as a social worker personally, like it was my experience at school, you know, and the surrounding people that like you're not going to make money. And then even after, I know a lot of people, because I, again, I work with just like a lot of women service providers. And, you know, a lot of my clients, then their peers start frowning at them when they raise their prices. They're like, how are you going to find people who are going to make that, who are going to pay that? That's crazy. Um, So I think there can also be judgment amongst peers as well, who, who have those money mindset blocks too.
0: Definitely. I think in general, it's really important to talk about, but especially in the helping professions to talk about money, because people don't realize that finances are a part of self-care and your Mm well-being. If you're making too little money to pay your bills, I mean, that's financial stress can really weigh on a person. It's so difficult and it causes a lot of depressive symptoms. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can't provide for your family and you're working really hard, these long hours, you're not making enough income. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to talk about. And I think it's very frowned upon in a taboo, especially in the helping professions, talking about money is a huge taboo. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important what you're doing and getting people to talk about mm-hmm. it.
1: Yeah. And I think different cultures too, there's definitely obviously like different cultural beliefs around money and things like that, that may also be, you know, worked into your beliefs or again, affect how you were raised or. So I think that's like also a big factor as well, you know, something that plays into it. Um, and just seeing like, you know, does your parents have money? How did they talk about it? you know, like my mom always talks about it, like we didn't have a lot. So I grew up and she probably shouldn't even have talked about it with me as much as she did. But, you know, I grew up very stressed about money and feeling like there would never be enough, you know, no matter what I did. So, you know, I had to do really active money mindset work around that.
0: And can you talk about that a little bit? How can somebody who has an unhealthy money mindset or have these money blocks, how can they start to work on changing that?
1: Yeah. Well, I first just started to work on it by reading books about money and like money mindset and things like that. Um, One of my favorites is Denise Duffield Thomas, Get Rich Lucky Bitch. Um, Another one is Jen Cicero, you're a badass at making money. Um, Rachel Rogers has a new one out called We Should All Be Millionaires. So for me, it was really just exposing myself to these concepts and someone putting it into words. Like, you know, I didn't get that it was like a mindset block or a mindset issue. I just thought it is what it is. Like, this is my, like, this is everybody's reality. This is the reality of life. Like, I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is just my reality that... I'm creating or believe and I could believe other things about money. Um, so just kind of really exposing myself to some of those things, noticing my own money, you know, again, my own beliefs about money, noticing how my parents talked about it, going through childhood memories, um, really thinking about times like money came up where I might've felt ashamed or bad about things. Or, you know, if you waste money or like, have you ever like wasted money? And then like your mom's like, why did you waste money on that? You know, like just things like that, where, you know, um, you just kind of, you know, again like have all these like little, little stories that add up to like big, big beliefs for sure. Um, so just really starting to look at specific memories, specific habits I have now, like have had and like, ha- you know, how to even like work on changing, um, me and my client were talking about one today because she struggles with her money mindset. So I was just talking about how, like, I'm always out. I'm almost out of like soap in the hand soap container. And I'm like, oh good. Cause like, I don't like this container. I'm like ready to toss it. And there's like so little left. And I was like thinking, it's like, why can't I just toss it? Like. It's like a couple pumps of hand soap left, but like growing up, my mom would literally like take the bar soap and then mix it into the hand soap with water to like make it last longer. So like, I still have those moments of guilt if I think I'm like wasting a little thing or like, you know, you know, when you, um, like save stuff, like you have your good shower (laughs) gel. Yes. Oh, (laughs) yes. or like your, you know, good perfume. Like even last summer, I have old like straightening spray that I use for my hair. And then I had a new one that I loved. And I was like, I would only use the good one, like the newer one on like special like occasions, I guess, or once in a while. And then I was like, Oh, like throw this stuff out. Why am I using this product that isn't actually that helpful? And I don't like, the finished product. So then I just threw it out. And it's like so ridiculous because the other product, my hair dries like in a quarter of the time. So like, I'm not wasting 25 minutes with the blow dryer and the hair straightener. So it's like, I'm wasting time for what, like $10, you know, a bottle that costs $10 and is going to save me you know, a couple of hours a week, to be quite honest, when I'm like washing and drying my hair. So I think it's just like some of those things, like you really start to pick up on the stories, then you really look at like, again, the belief around them, like, am I worthy of nicer things? Um, Is this wasteful? I don't deserve this. Again, that like lack and shortage, like people aren't going to pay me. Am I worth the payments? Um, What if I don't deliver? Like, what if people get mad at me? So just kind of really looking at all of that, doing it at like, different, every level, like money mindset work is never done. Like you overcome like those blocks and you get to the next level. And then like, they kind of show up again, you know, as you're raising prices again or creating new services. So I do think it's constant, constant work. And I think it's also like playing around. There's so many different things you do again, like reading the books definitely helps me. Um, my one client is reading get rich lucky bitch for the third time. So I do think again, like go back and read the book, you know, find a different book that, that appeals to you. Um, some of them have journal prompts, do the journal prompts, you know, don't just look at them,
0: (laughs) Right. actually
1: like write them out. Um, I've also done things like journaling as if so journaling as if I already am making that 500 K or whatever, what I'm doing with the money, where it's coming from, how I'm creating it, what my life like. um, So I think that's really like valuable is is acting as if you already have it and what would be different and getting into the energy around that and getting excited. So that works for me, works for me at times. Um, And I'm someone too. like, I have ADHD. So like something will work for me and then it doesn't work for me anymore. And it's like so frustrating because I'm like, why this was working? It made me feel so good. And now it's just kind of like, So like you'll outgrow things. And like, sometimes I go back to things. So it's totally okay to try different things. One of these is not the right fit as you do it. And again, stick with it for a little bit though, because they're all awkward and uncomfortable at first. Um, Don't be afraid to like try something else. Um, I've also just done like mantras and affirmations. Like when I was starting my business at first, I was like, I was so anxious about getting clients and stuff like that. So finally I was just like, came up with this mantra, you know, affirmation. And I would say like, you know, my schedule is filled with ideal clients. And then like, I booked out like a ton, like I did like 40 market research calls over like six weeks. So then I was like, okay, my schedule is filled with ideal clients who love to pay me, you know? So just being like, really also very like specific, like, you know, don't just say like, Hey, you know, I'm so grateful. I made a hundred K this year. Um, be like oh, or more, you know, keep it open also for more to come to you than you expect. So mantras and affirmations. Sometimes I just write down the same mantra, like 20 times every day, just to like kind of embed it, you know, into my system. Some people like, like might record them saying the same things and play that over and over, or you can go on YouTube and even just find videos with like positive affirmations about money and things like that. There's also EFT, the emotional freedom technique, which is like tapping on your different meridian points and like staying statements. So I like Brad Yates. Um, He has like a ton of videos on YouTube for every kind of situation ever, but he has one called client magnet and one called money magnet. So I used to like to watch those a lot and go through like the tapping and work, work on that kind of thing. So there's so many different things you could do. It's trying kind of just experimenting until you find out what feels like a good fit for you.
0: Okay, great. Those are amazing recommendations.
1: I'm going to put all of those (laughs) recommendations in the show notes. Amazing. I I love that. Yeah. And actually like in my mastermind, um, we have like a whole module on mindset, you know, where we look at like those things like how we feel, we look at our self-sabotages, you know, because again, like what's going on? Like, are you getting close to that income goal? We look at money tracking so we're even aware of how much we're making. Cause a lot of times, you know, we feel like we're not making a lot, that's not true, or like maybe we're close to our goal and we don't realize it and we're like discouraging ourselves. So just really even looking at money, we cover that um, and just kind of those kinds of things. I feel like it's so important. There's a whole module around it.
0: Oh my gosh. It's so important. Okay. That's really great. Awesome. What tips do you have for people that are wanting to make more money, but they
1: have no idea where to begin? I, sometimes it's good to just like brainstorm a massive list. Like, and I think like, honestly, just thinking with anything, you know, are there like other jobs you can take? Are there things you can like sell? You know what I mean? Like, can you clear out your closet? Um, I know some people kind of do that just to get that energy of money flowing. Like, you know, what could they declutter? And, you know, now there are so many easy places to put stuff up for sale, like on Facebook and things like that. It, it's pretty easy. So you can kind of do that kind of thing. And then and I think thinking about, you know, like what's a problem you can solve for people that people would be willing to pay for. Um, and I really think, you know, if you can start out with a service, it's a lot easier. I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, I'll make a like, ebook or I'll make like a this or that again, like sometimes ebooks are like, you know, $20. So you would have to like sell a lot of them to make money and you may not have the audience for that. So I think it's really great. If you could just think about like services in which you could help people with in person where they pay for your expertise. You know, I used to do, um, SAT tutoring when I was in grad school. Do you have a hobby? Like, do you do tarot card readings? Do you have, do you feng shui or are you really? good at organization Um, and honestly so many services can be done online now like even organization I know like a ton of people who just do it over the computer so you know do you like what kind of skill set do you have that you know there's a need for and kind of just start asking questions about it too and and looking at you know google it like if you have an idea for something google it see are other people selling it is there a need for it that kind of thing
0: Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's really awesome for people to hear. I think that's really helpful for people mm-hmm. to hear. What do you think are some things that people may find intimidating about adding
1: another revenue stream? I think the thing where people really um, get intimidated is I think they one, like try to overcomplicate things, like starting out with again, like a massive course that's like eight modules and tries to solve like the world's problems. I think people get very broad and general and things sell better and are easier to create if you're targeting like a specific audience again, like, which is hopefully connected to what you already do. For me, when I started my therapy practice, I started the in-person private practice. So I already had that experience counseling. And then when I started coaching, like that was a completely new thing for me. So I didn't go straight into like, I'm gonna coach business owners when I barely, you know, had my business up and running, I was like, okay, I'm going to experiment with like packages focused on stress management for women. And that was honestly like even vague. I should have made it more narrow. Um, But I was like, you know, that's what I'll start with. It was like a good complimentary thing. I worked in my private practice at that point, mostly with women in their young to late twenties, dealing with work stress, toxic work places relationship issues. So it was like kind of a nice complimentary thing to shift over to that wasn't like this huge, massive turnaround that I would have like no clue what I was even doing or have to learn Something from scratch. So I think really trying to find something connected to what you already do. And when I did the stress management, it wasn't like I was like, oh my God, I love this. This is my thing, right? Like I didn't feel that way, but I was like, I'm just going to get started with this because this is like what I know. And of course, like as you can tell just from listening to my story early on, like it gradually took me to like now what I love to do, but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't just like kind of taken that chance. Like there's no way I would have been able to go straight into like helping women with multiple income streams. How would I have even known that, you know? So I think it's really important to just start where you're at and think about something that's really like connected to it and not thinking about like going into this whole other direction that you have no access to.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that a lot of fear comes from that. So, how do you help people overcome that fear that they have?
1: I think honestly, like, it just sucks. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> I still don't love it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm filling my mastermind now. I'm like, oh God, what if I have to keep talking about it to people? Right. Like, why can't I just put it out there once? You have to really be you know, again, not necessarily like passionate, like this is the thing, but like you have to be passionate about willing to get out there and try it. And it's uncomfortable and it's scary. And I don't think anybody likes initially like selling their services or selling their things, you know, no matter how confident they are, or if they even are extroverted or like being visible, it's still uncomfortable for them. So I think it really is just doing it. And, you know, remembering most people aren't even looking at you, (laughs) like, unfortunately, which is why we need to do it more than we think we do, but it really is just connecting with, is this important to you? Is this something you really want to do? And honestly, like you do have to put yourself out there because people won't find you. And I know a lot of times too, like, I know I was like, oh, I just got to get a website up and then I'll have everyone. Like if people can't find the website, it's not going to do a thing. You know, I was like, this is so scary. I just put up this like professional website. Oh my God. Nobody found it. You know, like I still had to go out there and put myself out there. So it's just kind of like, I think it's just, there's like this hump and you just got to get past it. Like I had a client who, you know, really intimidated about putting herself out there, but she's running a group that she was really passionate about helping moms of kids with anxiety and depression. She was kind of tiptoeing around it, starting to like let people know about it. And then like, you kind of just hit that ground and you're like, whatever. And she like went all out and sure enough, she like, you know, filled spots in the group and it's going really well, but she had to like, you know, push herself and she, and we make it worse on ourselves. The more we like hold herself back like she created a lot of extra work for herself because she pushed it off to the end and then it was like very intense and draining where she could have accepted that's what we have to do and now it'll be easier for the next time because she knows she'll survive it you know but I think for sure yeah knowing you're gonna have to do more of it than you think you are it does become easier as you do it not saying you'll ever love it I still don't but like it's it's just definitely just a thing now.
0: That makes sense. So basically just forcing yourself to do the thing
1: and being being
0: uncomfortable. Yeah,
1: Yeah. (laughs) that sounds so bad. But yes, you just have to force yourself to do it. I think, you know what I mean? And I think it's like thinking about the result of like, what can happen if you do do it? Cause like money's not going to just fall from the sky. Ideal clients are not just, I wish they were, believe me, ideal clients are not going to just fall from the sky. Like you have to put yourself out there in front of them.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And so I want to go back to something you said earlier was that when you started, you said yourself that you, you were lazy, which was lucky Mm -hmm. for you because you outsourced a lot of things um, that you didn't DIY everything, which I you know, a lot of people do because of that money mindset that they can't outsource things. Mm -hmm. What are some examples of things that are great for people to outsource that they're
1: DIYing and that they don't need to? Yeah. I think that, um, some things that are good to outsource first of all, like really thinking about, you know, what takes up a lot of your time that you don't enjoy doing or aren't good at. Right. And sometimes it's even just thinking about things like in your personal life, right? Like I actually, even before, you know, I started my business when I was like freelancing back in the day, like I hired a cleaning person just to come in once a month. And cause I was like, I don't want to spend my time cleaning. I was like thinking about it. And I was like, I don't love cleaning. Like I can't, I love it being super clean, but like, I can't even get it clean to my own standards. It takes me forever. Like that's not what I wanna spend my weekend doing. And I was like, hmm, one hour of a client for me back at that time brought in a cleaning person who did it, you know, who did what would take me like six hours in like three, two to three hours, you know what I mean? So again, like I saved me six hours of my time. I could see six clients during that time. And again, like make so much more money or even just again, like work one extra client and pay for it and save myself so many, so many hours and be supporting someone else in growing their business. So I just think even thinking about things like that, like what are low cost things that you can outsource that are more affordable for you to hand off to someone to do. One of the income streams that I experimented with in the beginning was like self-publishing a book of journal prompts. Like I had no idea how to like format that or design a cover, you know, you know, I had a VA at the time who was like $20 an hour and, you know, she did like in an hour it would have taken me so long to try to like learn that and it would not it would have looked like a kindergartner did it like that's not you know, design is not my skill set, so I think images can be really helpful. Like creating design, graphic images, branding, things like that, um, can be really nice to outsource. Um, I know people always want to like outsource their writing and stuff, but I really think that's a harder thing to outsource, especially in the beginning, because you really need to learn your voice and who you're talking to, and people need to get to know you and your personality. So I think it's hard to outsource like writing Instagram posts and things like that. But I think like again, general admin tasks like you know, I have somebody at this level who does all my sales pages, who does like all the tech. I just create the content for the freebie. She designs them. Um, so things that are holding you back too, if you're like, well, I can't create a freebie to grow a mailing list because I don't know how to design it, or I don't know how to set up ConvertKit or whatever, hire someone to do it in an hour or two and like move on. I think we also use these as, excuses to hold ourselves back and those roadblocks to stop ourselves from getting to that next level as somebody now who schedules posts for me who like manages the content we could repurpose it things like that
0: okay great yeah that's really helpful and I agree I think those blocks those things that you don't know how to do they become this huge Mm -hmm. excuse for you to procrastinate Mm -hmm. and hold yourself back and again tying back to what you said about that self-sabotage that is self-sabotage Yeah, totally. Definitely. Okay, great. So say a client comes to you, a potential client comes to you. They want to start a business or, you know, they have some content out there, but they don't know really where to go. And they come to you for services. How do your services look?
1: Yeah. So a lot of my clients actually already have like, again, like kind of the structure of their business. They have a few clients. So either they're like, I need more clients. I want more clients. Like, I want to get booked out. You know, I want to get to that, like, you know, five to $8,000 a month in income. Um, so, you know, we would really then work together to first of all, get clear on their audience. Cause a lot of times at that time, we're still kind of vague. We're trying to help everyone. We're like, I can help everyone. You know, that's what I did too. You know, as you know, when you're in an agency and a social worker, like they're just throwing anyone at you, you're not like, Oh, this is my specialty. You know, they're like, oh, this you get any client when your name's up in the roster. I think it's really important to kind of develop that strong niche and audience to know exactly who you're talking to. So you could start to stand out in front of them. So we would work on things like, you know, what is your messaging? Who do you help? Like, what problems do you solve for them? What do they want to be different? I think, again, a lot of times we get caught up in trying to like sell our process. Like, this is what I do for you. This is what we do. This is the work we do. And like, again, people don't care about that. Not that they don't care about that, but like, if you tell them that they're going to run the other way, they're interested in like, do you connect with our problems? You know what I mean? Do you connect with our problems? Do you understand them? That kind of thing. So that's really important to them. So we would really, you know, start to build up your visibility in that area. I like to help people start to make sure that they're building a mailing list because that's your community of ideal clients. That's you, where you show up as an expert. And that won't only just get you that first income stream, that consistent income from a service-based business first income stream, it'll then allow you to expand into new income streams when you're ready for that too. So we kind of look at that, like, again, where, who are you building relationships with where you can get clients or get that visibility, help others grow their businesses It's really important to me that it's like about authenticity. And it's not just like, Hey, send me clients like that. You're really building long-term relationships with others who have the same, the same audience as you. And then for that. Next stage, again, a lot of times people are already making like five to eight thousand dollars or more and then they want to expand even further. Um, because it's just one-to-one clients and they're burnt out. So it's then, is it like hiring a team of people who are going to do the same service as you? Is it you know, starting to create workshops or group programs or things like that. Um, And just really making sure to start to kind of zero in on what interests them, what their audience needs and wants from them that they want to do and what that would look like, what other services and, and how could they package it up and what kind of things could they create that their audience would like.
0: I think that's really great for people to hear how you can help them and the different ways that you help them. That's amazing. Well, Nicole, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I think this is so helpful for people to hear about money mindset and money blocks and Mm -hmm. overcoming their fears and everything you've recommended. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. Can you tell people where to find you?
1: Yeah, I actually recommend just because you're talking about, you know, whether it's your first income stream, creating something a little extra, um, I would go over to Nicole LaLoya slash M-I-S because that's my multiple income streams guide. So right there, you'll get a list of like 10 different income streams. So you can start to think about like what kind of appeals to you. So that's N-I-C-O-L-E-L-I-L-O-I-A slash M I S. So you can go grab that there. And then I'm on Instagram too. So come say hi and let me know like what step you're going to take, or I'd love to hear if like, maybe there's like a money block you're going to work on or that you noticed after hearing us talk. Um, and just let me know how it's going.
0: Awesome. And I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes so people can find you again. Thank you so much. This was extremely helpful and valuable for people to hear. Oh, good. Thank you. Oh, well, Was I right or what? I knew that this episode was going to be so important and so valuable. Nicole gave amazing advice. I hope that you took notes, download this episode, re-listen to it, listen to what Nicole is saying, talking about these money mindsets, these unhealthy money mindsets, where they're stemming from, these money blocks. There is extra money out there for you. You do deserve to earn more money. You do deserve to live a life that you want. With financial freedom and without that stress of not making enough money to cover your bills or even, you know, going to the store and buying things that you want, like Nicole was saying, throwing out things that you don't like or even ordering that appetizer and dessert when you go out to dinner or order takeout. I mean, these are things that make a big difference in our daily stress and our well being. So, I certainly learned a lot. I hope that you did. I hope that you really enjoyed this episode and took Nicole's advice to heart. I know that I did. And I know that I will probably be re-listening to this episode many times. Nicole gave great recommendations. She gave so many amazing tips. Everything's going to be in the show notes. All of Nicole's links are going to be in the show notes, her cheat sheet, everything. So definitely go to the show notes and check all that out and follow Nicole for more money mindset tips and how to overcome your money blocks. Thank you so much, Nicole. This was amazing. And be sure to tune in to next week's episode for another incredible guest. Have a great week.